Today we're going to be looking at, you know, what happened after Easter. Because, you know, we've had a very busy season here, both at Living Spring and, you know, the, the Christian church worldwide. Uh, we, in this little season, we, we celebrated Palm Sunday, which was our commemoration, commemor our celebrating, um, <laughs> the tongue gets in the way also, Gary, um, of Jesus' triumphal visit to Jerusalem and where people worshiped and hailed him as king. And then following that, that, the next Thursday, Jesus celebrated the Passover feast with his 12 disciples. And these were men that he had spent the past three years with, and he was teaching them about the kingdom of God and how to live in that kingdom, while at the same time, you know, the kingdoms of the world tried to still remain control and still tried to take things over. And then after that meal, and the time of prayer that they have, and if you read in John about it, it's a very touching, a special prayer. We remember that Jesus was arrested, and he was falsely accused, and ultimately convicted of crimes and heresy, not only against God, but against Rome, the one that was really in charge at the time. And all of this then led up to Good Friday. And it was not good because an innocent man had to die. Die a, a painful, humiliating, excruciating death. But as believers in Christ, we can call it good because his death paid the price for our sins. Amen? And the reality is that Jesus didn't deserve to die on that cross, you know, because he was completely innocent. And Jesus didn't hang on that cross by himself. There was two other men that were executed with Jesus that day. And as they were on their crosses hanging there, one of them realized the innocence of Jesus. And this unnamed man, I wish, you know, Luke would have included that name there. But he said to the other thief, as they were hanging on the cross, he said, don't you fear God? We are punished justly, for we are getting what we, our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. All of this led up to Easter Sunday. The day that Jesus, he walked out, he, I, I imagine he just burst out of that tomb, displayed the awesome power of God, and that the powers of this world did not have to have the final word. Because of Easter, Jesus is alive, and we can share in that victory. I heard someone say amen. Amen? amen. <sighs> victory! Now what? <laughs> After the miraculous event of the resurrection, everything else seems almost anticlimactic, like, you know, what else is there to be done? And sadly, many people, and people who call themselves Christians, have that same feeling. They may not say it. In fact, they would be offended if you mentioned that they were responding this way. But the truth is that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after Easter, people have a way of returning back to their old ways. Have you noticed that? 
It says, if someone was to stand up and shout out, you know, hey, show's over. Nothing more to see here. Everybody move on. And as we will see in the portion of the scripture that we're going to look at today, it happened back then. It happened right after Jesus' death and resurrection. And sadly, it still happens today. So let's look at today's portion of scripture. It's found towards the end of John's gospel. And if you want to turn to it, if you have a Bible, or if you want to call up your Bible app, we're in chapter 21. And I'm going to be reading from verse 15. And John shares with us, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. As I said, um, following Easter, people have a tendency to, to return to what they had been doing. And, and that happened to Peter and to some of his friends. Just prior to that section that I read, we see Peter and some of his disciples going and doing just that. They were so disappointed, they were so freaked out over losing, out, losing Jesus, the death of him. Um, my hopes had died and everything was blown up. They decided to do, look, you and I would probably do, let's go back to what we were doing before. So they decided to go fishing. Many of them were fishermen before they decided to be followers of Jesus. So they went back to go fishing. In fact, they were so engrossed with what, that they, were, what they were doing, and they were so comfortable with doing their same old, same old, that they failed to recognize Jesus was right there, standing with them, talking to them, and he was even giving them some helpful suggestions. Because prior to Jesus showing up on the scene, these men were out there fishing, but no one was catching. Heard that old phrase, right? We did a lot of fishing, but not much catching. I heard one chuckle. Thank you. <laughs> but here we have, you know, they're, they're busy doing it. They're intent, and Jesus is starting to talk to them. And he shows up out of nowhere, 
and he learns about their lack of success and he makes a couple of simple little suggestions and the result is that they catch so much fish that they can't haul it all into the boat. It was then that John, he's another one of his disciples and another one of the guys that were fishing there, part of the party, he goes over to Peter and kind of nudges him and says, look, it's the Lord. Now, Peter, when he finally recognizes Jesus, he jumps in the water, he swims to shore, and Jesus invites him and the rest of the party to have this great breakfast of fried fish. I don't know if I would go for that in the morning. I'd more of a scrambled eggs and sausage guy, but, you know, when in Jerusalem, you do what the Jerusalems do. <laughs> so they have this great meal. They're, who knows what they're talking about, enjoying the great time. But then after the meal, Jesus pulls Peter off to the side and he wants to speak to him about something very important. And that was that section that I just read for you. Because Jesus knew how Peter felt about betraying him before his death. And he wanted to restore and strengthen that relationship that he and Jesus had prior to that. Got a question for you. Have you ever been in a strained or damaged relationship with another person? See a few heads nodding. You're starting to get where I'm getting at there. Maybe you had someone that was very close to you at one time. Someone who had been important, maybe very meaningful to you. And now circumstances have occurred to where you're together with them. You bump into them every once in a while, whatever it may be. But there's that uncomfortable tension, that awkward sense of what, what should I say? Or, or should I say anything at all? Do, do I bring up what happened in the past? Or, and this is probably our, our American culture way of doing things, should I just walk away and do nothing? Have you ever been in a situation like that? Can you relate to what we're kind of setting the scene for right there? Because that, that's exactly we, what we have with this meeting that was going on between Jesus and Peter. The two of them had been very close. Peter had been part of the inner circle. He got to see Jesus doing things that no one else other had gotten to see. He got to see, you know, Jesus transformed and had that meeting with uh, Elijah and Moses. He got to have some deep talks with Jesus. But Peter knew that he had betrayed Jesus when Jesus needed him most. And really, when you think about it, there was nothing that Peter could have done to, to change the situation. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, because that was planned by God. That, that, that was set up for, by God for everything else that was getting ready to happen. But Peter knew that when people asked him if he had been associated with Jesus or if he knew him or if maybe he was a part of his team, Peter's response three times was that he didn't even know the guy. He had publicly turned his back on Jesus during Jesus' most troubling time. And Peter knew when it happened what he had done. 
Because if, if you look at Mark, Matthew and Mark and Luke and the accounts that they have in it, they all say the same thing. After denying that he knew Jesus, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. He was in anguish. He knew when Jesus needed him most, he said, I don't even know the guy. And Peter carried with him that guilt of denying, of turning away from his friend, basically the person that would be giving his life so that Peter could have life. And Jesus, I believe he knew that Peter was carrying that guilt with him and that this guilt would prevent him from ever being the person God wanted him to be. It's amazing what guilt stops you from doing, how it, it holds you captive. It's almost like you're, you're, you're a slave to that guilt. Human nature would have been for Jesus. You know, a lot of times when Pastor John's up here preaching, he says, you know, this is how I would have done it. Um, but human nature, you know, when Jesus and Peter met, would have been that he would have gotten to Peter and said, dude, where were you? Get out of my life. You're off the team. I never want to have anything to do with you. Have you had a friend treat you that way? Sadly, have maybe you treated somebody else that way sometime? Or maybe... Jesus could have just played all the guilt cards. Every time he'd bump into Peter, he's just saying, remember the time you blew it? I needed you that one time, buddy, and you, you couldn't come up to bat. Just couldn't do it. But what's so miraculous about Jesus is he doesn't do any of that. He simply goes to Peter and asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus asks him that question three times. And actually, the first time he asks the question, he adds a second question to it. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, scholars have debated about what Jesus was referring to here because, you know, some of them say that Jesus was saying, asking him, do you love me more than these other men love me? Others were saying, um, now, here's what Jesus was asking. Do you love me more than you love these other men? And then you had the other camp that kind of argues that Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these things, you know, more than the fishing boats, the net, the gear, all this stuff, you know, basically stuff. And, you know, the reality is we don't have time this morning to go into detail about this. But according to the majority of scholars, um, of these three options, the first one seems the most appropriate. And they give that argument because a few chapters back, one time when he was talking with the rest of the disciples, Peter had boasted that he would never forsake Jesus. Even if everybody else ran away, I will always be there for you. And we know how well that turned out. <laughs> But whatever interpretation you choose to go with, the reality is that Jesus is asking Peter a very simple 
but a very important question. And, and this is a question not only for Peter, but for each and every one of us. It's a simple question, but, but one it's kind of hard sometimes to answer. But once you answer it, it sets a direction for your life. Jesus is asking Peter, along with you and me, do you love anything more than me? And if you do, what are we going to do about it? Notice he's not asking if Peter has been living his life perfectly. You know, have you, making sure that you're not sinning? Are you not making any mistakes using the wrong type of language? He's not asking Peter if he's part of the right group. You know, maybe has the correct political beliefs. You know, have have you made all the right choices in life? And, you know, he's not asking Peter if he has the correct theological understanding. And, you know, are you interpreting the word properly? Or are you listening to the right music? Praise music, hymns. Or, and here's the big one, do you have the right translation of the Bible? Have you heard in churches, you know, these types of discussions that go on with some people sometimes? He never asked Peter any of these questions. He asked Peter, do you love me? And is there something you might love a little bit more? When you think about that question for a moment, and maybe present it to yourself. If, if you were in Peter's place, how would you answer that question? If Jesus was standing right before you and saying, do you love me? And is there something maybe that you love a little bit more? Because here's the reality behind the question. Anything you love more than Jesus is going to be a hindrance to the life God intended for you and he created you for. Now let me say that one more time and let it sink in. Anything you love more than Jesus is a hindrance to the life God intended for you and created you for. Jesus wants to know, is there anything you love more than him. And if there is, I'm not going to beat you up over it, but let's admit it, let's name it, then ultimately deal with it. Maybe it's your career. You know, that was one of my issues. That was one of my idols for a while. Like Pastor John, before I became a pastor, I was in the business world. And I'm sad to say, there was a time that my business, my work, was my number one priority. God had to help me move that into where it belongs. Maybe it's your bank account, or your 401k, or or your stock, stock portfolio. 
Could it be maybe an addiction you've got? Or a habit? Okay, I'm going to get uncomfortable for a moment. Uh, maybe is it a relationship? Because I can just see you going, Keith, are you saying Jesus wants me to love him more than my spouse, my parents, brother or sister, or someone that's been special within my life? Yep, Jesus is asking you that. Thank you, I'm glad I heard someone say that. Jesus teaches that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nothing is supposed to be more important than loving God. Are you okay with that so far? And we, we learn in Paul's writings that Jesus is God incarnate. God in the flesh, the, the embodiment of all that God is. And even Jesus went so far as to say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus wants to know if there's anyone or anything you love more than him. And if there is, admit it and surrender it to Jesus. The night Jesus was arrested, Peter proved for that moment that he loved himself, his reputation, and his life more than he loved Jesus. And that realization filled Peter with guilt, a ton of guilt, a guilt that prevented him from then doing what Jesus had been teaching him to do. But the good news is God doesn't want his people burdened down with guilt. Amen? Praise God for that. Because why did he send Jesus into the world? Even Jesus himself says, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world but to come so that you could have life. Jesus comes into our lives to free us from guilt. But sometimes you can't be freed from guilt unless you know what it is that's got you locked up. Jesus, face to face, eye to eye, he asked Peter, do you love me? If you're familiar with the gospel stories, you know, Peter gets asked many questions, and usually he's quick to respond. Sometimes he's a little too quick to respond. He gets himself in trouble. But this time, and while the Bible doesn't say it, I believe that each time Jesus asked those questions, Peter took a moment to think about it. To think really about what Jesus was asking him before he said each time, yes, I do. I love you. And after each question and answer, Jesus gave the same instruction. Feed my sheep. Take care of the people I entrust you with. Because if, if you look at the history of the church and everything, basically Peter becomes one of the ones that starts this whole thing that we call church. 
And really what was getting ready for, Jesus was getting ready for, was when he has, you know, <clears throat> Gary was mentioning about Pentecost, when he ascends and we are empowered with the Holy Spirit, that's to start to do this whole thing we call church. And God is wanting to free up Peter to be able to do that. So that's what he's saying, feed my sheep. Once Jesus frees you of all this guilt, you're now empowered to go do and to live the life that he has for you. And then I love the way he just kind of ends the story. He just gives a simple command. Follow me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. At another church that Tina and I were at, um, we used to lead a, a college-age group. And it was amazing as each one of the kids got closer to the age of 21. They would be always asking the questions of like, so if I go out and do this, does this mean I'm going to go to hell? And some of the discussions we would have would be fantastic. We would go home with headaches afterwards, but it would be great discussions. <clears throat> but we kept telling the same simple thing. You know what? If you're following right behind Jesus, you don't have to worry about ending up in hell. Because that's not where Jesus is. So if you're following Jesus, guess where you won't be? And you could see those kids trying to process that and put it all together. But it's like, no. It's not about all the rules. Just as Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Well, Keith, fortunately, you didn't go as long as you said you would. And um, so you're probably wondering, what's the point about all this? What's all this rambling? What, is, what does it mean for my life? And it's this. While it's true that on Good Friday, Jesus said those words, it is finished. Easter starts the new beginning for anyone who desires to choose to follow Jesus. Easter is what starts the new life. <clears throat> Jesus' death that Friday before Easter that was the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that would pay the price for yours and my sins. And only Jesus could do what we've been trying for thousands of year to do, years to do, to free ourselves of the guilt and the enslavement of sin and evil. And you know, sadly, thousands of years later, people are still trying to do what Jesus did for them. And what they're really doing is they're denying the redemptive act of what Jesus did. They're saying, I don't believe it happened. I don't believe it was good enough. When in God's eyes, it was more than good enough. It was the perfect and best sacrifice. But when Jesus stepped out of that tomb, it was the start of the life that God has for each and every one of us. Amen? Doesn't that cause some little bit of excitement? Because now the reality is your work, your life truly begins. 
Because Jesus wants to restore you to the relationship that God created you for and that sin has denied you to have any part of. Sin has so filled you with lies that you have no true understanding, no concept of what God wants for you. You, like Peter, have almost denied knowing him. Maybe you haven't walked away, you know, turned your back to him, but maybe you have refused him access to a part of your life. You can have me here at church. You can have me a little bit at home. Boo, at the work? No, no, can't do that. Maybe you've said no to what he wants to do with your life. I kiddingly say becoming a pastor was my midlife crisis because God and I argued so much about, ah, and God's going, uh huh. <laughs> Maybe you said no when you should have offered forgiveness or kindness to someone. And you know, that, that list could go on and on. But the good news is that because of Easter, Jesus could reach out and restore and bring a new life to Peter. Because of Easter, Jesus is alive and he's willing to take those first steps to bring a new and exciting relationship with you or maybe to take that relationship you have to the next level, to take you to some newer and greater things. Jesus has taken the first steps. Now it's your turn. <clears throat> As the praise team comes back up, I invite you to, to take some time with God and maybe ask him, what are your next steps? This is our time where we just kind of quiet things down, listen to the words of the song. Um, but more important, listen to what God has to say to you. You know, maybe you could be proactive and ask Jesus to reveal to you something that you actually love more than him that maybe you weren't aware of. Maybe Jesus is saying that it's time you and I talk about this. I want our relationship to grow a little more, but this one thing is kind of maybe causing a little barrier for us. Maybe you weren't aware that something had been become taking that place where Jesus, Jesus should be in your life. If there is, Jesus won't shame you or make you feel guilty. He'll help you put it in its proper place. Here's the scary part. Maybe Jesus wants to take you to a new level in his relationship with you. His question might be, do you love me enough to trust me with this? Maybe Jesus is calling you to a special ministry within his kingdom. You know, we're kind of coming out of COVID here and we've got these new things that are going on here at Living Spring. Maybe Jesus is kind of going, hey, what do you think about working with the youth? What do you think about working with kids? 
do you trust me enough to do what I ask you to do? Do you love me enough? Or maybe Jesus is just simply saying to you, follow me. Or to some, he might be just saying, come meet me. Let's introduce ourselves to each other. Let's begin a relationship. Whatever it might be, I just encourage you to, to take this time to open your hearts to God's Holy Spirit. You can do it right there where you're seating. Um, you're invited to come up to the altars here. We know God is present everywhere, but sometimes just kneeling before God just creates that special feeling, that special understanding of God's presence. But I encourage you to listen for the question, do you love me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Precious Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus into our lives. Father, thank you for the promise of eternal life through faith and trust in Jesus. Father, I ask that you would speak to each and every person here today, whether on campus or they're listening online, that you would make clear to us if there's something you might love more than your son Jesus. And Father, if there is, that you would not shame us about it, Rather, that lovingly you would help us put those things back into their proper place and then place Jesus as the one we love and trust above all else. Trusting you, we surrender our lives to you knowing that you have the best for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would please stand for the uh, blessing. Now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray that you go this week and that you will feel the presence of God in your life and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the peace that comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. May you recognize that you have been blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much.